1: Welcome back to the show
2: everybody it's your host Rohan Chakravarti uh here with the Badger Talk and we've got a very special guest today last week it was Mike Heller this week it's Badger 247's Mike Hogan Mike how you doing man
3: good how are you thanks for having me on I'm
2: good I'm good and I'm excited to talk I mean we've got a lot to talk about we see the title spring ball I haven't talked too much about spring ball on the podcast yet uh those of you who've seen the articles that's there but I'm excited to talk spring ball but first we've got to focus on a uh, wisconsin basketball which i mean we've been at the games we've known the tumultuous season and how it's kind of been a a crazy year thus far
3: yeah it's been it's been kind of a up and down you know kind of kind of roller coaster for them they they start off of course you know everybody nobody really thought much of them before the season with the the low you know the preseason poll low low ranking and then you know they they kind of and they played a lot of close games at the beginning, uh, but obviously climbed to 14. But I always kind of thought that their style of play would, you know, living on the edge with the close games and not being able to to kind of put teams away would kind of be something that would come back to, to get them, and it has uh, a couple times right. here. Uh, and they've been, obviously, they've been, they dealt with some injuries and, and uh, you know, Couple of tough matchups, and and now they're, you know, kind of squarely on the. They've been kind of teetering on and off the, the NCAA tournament bubble here for the last, you know, couple of weeks. So, uh, definitely a huge game or big, big win for them, big step in the right direction on, you know, Tuesday to beat Michigan. And now, they, the challenge is now to get a couple of wins in a row, at least two in a row, to kind of,
2: yeah. you know,
3: get out of the get kind of rough in of winning one and then going back to losing. And it's been kind of that trend they haven't been able to to kind of uh get rid of the last couple of weeks
2: no you're right i mean they haven't won two straight since january 3rd i believe it, it's been a while it's been over a month and the badgers have played a lot of basketball and i mean you're right the first the first part of the uh the schedule it seemed like as if they exceeded expectations given the preseason polls how the how the team had gone and the loss of transfers as well as Johnny Davis, but then you see them pull out a bunch of close games and that'd been the norm for, for Wisconsin, but you have to understand that more, more than, uh, more than not, you're going to regress to the mean when it comes to these very close within five point games. And essentially Wisconsin has, I mean, I, I forget the exact ranking, uh, record, but they're still pretty, pretty darn good when it comes to these really, really close games. It's just they're closer to five hundred than what they had showcased in the beginning of the year when they started uh, eleven and two. So that's kind of been the difference. Still, they're in a tough conference, and believe it or not, I mean the preseason poll hasn't. I, I don't know exactly if they're ninth right now, but they're hovering around ninth. So maybe it was right.
3: Yeah, I mean early on, it, it wasn't. I mean you can see, you, you can. It's easy now to say it's it's right, but I guess you know. Early on, it did seem like they're they were you know uh, outperforming the expectations that that people had laid out for them, and the right. expectations I guess were fair because they did lose uh, Johnny and Brad, who you know were Johnny was had a dominant season last year. Brad, you know, produced for him, but also the leadership I think was what they probably probably miss most, uh, you know, at this point. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, they're, they're obviously hovering around uh, ninth place. And, and and as we've said here so far, they need to kind of uh, get out of the, the the up and down trend they are in right now and, and uh, stack some wins.
2: Raul kindly reminds us that um, they are 10 and five in those close games. Let's talk about Michigan though, uh, because we, we did beat Michigan, and it was a game in a way that was somewhat of a must win for both teams in that Michigan and Wisconsin came into the game very similarly uh, in the rankings. Similarly, in terms of record, Michigan a little better in the Big Ten tournament. But when you talk about the Badgers win over Michigan, it was, it was a nice win for them. They obviously ended up winning uh, 64-59, to but it was another interesting win in that they couldn't close out the game. They didn't score or didn't hit a field goal over the last 10-42, which is unprecedented in today's uh, level of basketball. But on top of that, they were able to hold Michigan and uh, stain uh, the lead that they had, and be able to kind of pull uh, pull it off at the end of the at the end of the day. It was a strong win. And before uh, when before Mike comes back on, I do want to give a shout out when we start about talking about this game. Gotta give a shout out to the unsung heroes. That's what I call them. Guys like Carter Gilmore, guys like Kamari McGee, because the Badgers don't win without their uh, contributions. When you saw the difference between the first and second half, we'll first start with defensively. The Badgers obviously had a very uh, strong uh, start to the game, and then they had an even stronger beginning of the second half where they went up 12 uh, in in general. And a big part of the win, especially in the second half, was shutting down Hunter Dickinson, who didn't have a single field goal in the second half for a good portion of time. And Carter Gilmore, he's a guy who came off the bench uh, while there was some fouls, but also came off the bench in general, and he helped really – Make Hunter Gilmore somewhat of an uh, sorry, Hunter Dickinson somewhat of an afterthought in the offense, and that was a key part kind of uh, of the of the game. But for you, Mike, what were your kind of takeaways after the win over Michigan?
3: Well, obviously, as you mentioned, um, they they were able to kind of find a way to to limit Dickinson in the second half. Obviously, he didn't make a field goal, so that was noteworthy. After uh, he obviously made some shots in the first half and. It was kind of going back and forth with the with the student section a little bit., uh, so that was that was obviously an interesting element of the uh, get, and give Dickinson credit. you know, if you're gonna be the villain, you might as well do it. you know right. he uh, he uh, doesn't really walk the line. If he's gonna be the guy talking trash, he's gonna do it. um he he obviously uh, that was a big part of the game on on Tuesday, at least in the first half. Um, and I thought the crowd was pretty good, too. I know. Mm-hmm. People, you know, make a lot of the coal center and everything, um, <laughs> but I thought the the crowd was uh, was was pretty good. Um, but just in terms of the game, obviously, just a uh, you know when they when they let up the lead when they're up twelve and they you know kind of started to look like they're they're gonna let another one slip away after getting up you know by double digits. You can just feel like a, a, a tension. I, I guess it's not the first time this year we've we've kind of felt that, but. You know, it was interesting um, that, you know, you, you look at that, the last 10 minutes, they didn't make a field goal. I mean, how many teams have been able to to survive right. uh, that kind of game? I mean, you, you probably look up the analytics. And you know, like I said, I wrote in my story after the game, if ESPN stats and information had a scenario for that, like a numbers or probability, the, the likelihood of them winning is probably slim to none. Yeah. Um, don't make a shot. But obviously the free throw shooting by Asijin was – Um, You know, they got the ball, they're, you know, best free throw shooter, most reliable free
2: throw shooter, maybe, but not. we can. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) But, uh, you know, he was able to knock them down and they were able to get some stops and, you know, Michigan kind of went cold too. They've missed like what, two of their last 11, you know, they made, they only made two of their last 11 shots or something like that. So, you know, it was a combination of them, you know, being able to hit some free throws, obviously having a CJ at the line helps. Uh, They didn't have to risk you know, you know, Crow and Wall shooting the free throws, um, you know, Klusman hit a couple big ones as well. And then they were able to play some defense and, you know, it's almost like, you know, this team after some losses this year has blamed their defense instead of the offense. And that was you know, fun. that's yeah. some frustration with fans saying, why do they talk? Why are they only talking about their defense? It's because they know mm-hmm. they need to be absolutely perfect on that end or, or near perfect to win. Uh, to be able to overcome the ined- inevitable offensive droughts that they they hit every game. I mean, there's no way around it. This team, you can go back and look through the games, and they probably had a, a scoring drought in almost every single one. So they were able to right. somehow, some way, pull that out, and you know, it was a big win for them because if they lose two in a row, you know, it just the season's it's risky to to lose. You know, you lose, you blow two back to back. Get up big, and you, you blow back-to-back back games like that. That's uh, that's tough to overcome. And and now they, like I said, like we've said a couple times already, they need to, you know, stack some wins. Now it's time to to you know, take another step in the right direction instead of going one step forward and another step, you know, kind of backwards.
2: No, and I think the point that you bring up. I mean, I, I talked about it in an article myself because you're right. After some losses, especially some losses where it was very clear the offense was uh, inept, you you hear them blaming the defense. And why is that? Because defense is the area where they believe that they can be perfect. They can win a game by being perfect defensively. They understand their fallacies offensively. They understand the talent might not necessarily be there. I mean, when you talk about the scores, Tyler Wall scoring is significantly decreased. He showcased some of the aggressiveness during a small stretch in the second half of this pass game. But... He hasn't been necessarily a scorer that we've seen earlier in the season. Steven Crowell, uh, when Wall was injured, had a strong stretch of games scoring a significant amount of points. That hasn't been to the level that it has been uh, over the past few games. Really, when you're relying on scoring, it's the it's the top guards, Chucky Hepburn and Connor Sejan. Season has been definitely a pleasant surprise in terms of the amount that he's been able to score recently. Hepburn, though, the consistency is the issue. And even when he has strong games, we've seen the sometimes... Uh, poor decision-making at the end of the games that really overtakes his entire game. And when you talk about it, defensively, they're a strong unit. Even with Connor Asijan on the court, they're a strong unit. Max Klesman is the best on-ball defender on the team, but you have two strong ones in him and Chucky Hepburn. And then inside the paint, the Badgers have been able to do well. They take away the three, force teams to shoot inside the paint, and uh, are able to do well enough in that with regard to where they believe they can be really strong on that level.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and he mentioned Hepburn's shots at the end of the games. I thought guard had a good answer for that earlier this week when we asked him about it, you know, he said that it's not all on Chucky, you know, there, there are other things execution wise that, that go on around him that, that maybe people don't understand. And it's also a matter of, of guard. You know, I know people maybe raise eyebrows at this comment that he made, but um, finding ways or, you know, still discovering what his sweet spots are, what spots he likes to get to late in the games. Um, that's something that guard is still working through with him. And I think that's fair. I think that's fine. You know, you're always trying to find ways to improve and get better and, and to be more effective. Um, and, and obviously, you know, some of the shots that Chucky's taken at the end of games have, have, you know, have been questionable and maybe not the right shot, especially, you know, against Nebraska the other day or last weekend. Now, um, but, uh, you know, I, I still think that they have a lot of confidence in him, uh, you know, mm-hmm. being able to, to make those plays. And, and you know, obviously, you talked a little bit about Asijin, his playmaking, not only just three-point shooting, but, you know, I thought Tuesday I was most impressed with his ability to get to the basket. And he's shown that. At the, that wasn't the first time that he's it, – it's been a couple weeks now of seeing that. But I thought Tuesday was most – you know, it happened a couple different times throughout the game where he was able to get open. or or take it himself, and I thought that was a really good, strong, uh, positive development uh, for them to see his game kind of evolving beyond just being able to knock down threes. So I think that's something to to keep an eye on down the stretch.
2: No, definitely, and I mean, uh, a good part of that is when you – I think uh, kind of transitioning but also focusing on Hepburn, when you see the ability that Kamari McGee showcased this past Tuesday – the aggressiveness, and something that hadn't been there where he was actually able to execute and facilitate the offense. And to do so, you don't need to do something special as the backup point guard here. You just need to be able to execute the offense and when the opportunity is there, take it. And we hadn't necessarily seen McGee do that a lot offensively uh, uh this season. And then to see the aggressiveness a couple of times, find a shot and take the opportunity when it was there, that in a way eases the burden on Hepburn and Guard talked about it too because when you have the back of point guard able to able to do things, you can pull your starter when you need to when he needs the uh, requisite rest when he you want to talk things over and that's that's not necessarily been there all year and that increases the pressure because while this team has more guards necessarily than big men, it still doesn't have too many guards that they want to play. And so it, it does increase the pressure on those starters, especially Hepburn with the ball in his hand so much. And so that was another thing uh, where, where, which I noticed on Tuesday, which you hope does uh, kind of improve not only Hepburn's play, but also the Badgers with their rotation going forward as they condense to eight or seven guys.
3: Yeah, guard mentioned and I think everybody knew this too. It was a good matchup for Kamari. He was going up against some smaller guards who, you know, right. weren't taking down low, so that, you know, he was didn't have that concern. It was kind of an even matchup where he was able to, you know, stay, you know, it wasn't too much and then he wasn't challenged with a bigger physical guy defensively and it was a little bit easier for him to move offensively as well. Um, I thought, but I thought overall, you know, as you said, it was an encouraging performance just for his, the matchup aside that that point aside, everybody understands that. But just for him to get out there and to to have that kind of performance and to really, really contribute to a victory like that. It's a huge, huge confidence boost for him. Um And I talked to him yesterday. You could tell that, that the performance really he said
2: it himself. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Really kind of helped him. Uh, you know, it really, really showed him that it, the work he's been doing behind the scenes had had starting to pay to pay off. I and mean, mm-hmm. he mentioned that it wasn't just that game that, that, that he was really happy with. It was how he's been practicing and we don't get to see practice, the coaches and the players get to get to you know, obviously they're around him every day. And that they say the same thing about him is that he was really building toward a game like that. And now he's got to, you know, find a way to to contribute um, even more, you know, be be consistent with it. Maybe not contribute even more, but just stay steady with it and, and give them some good minutes. And maybe he won't be playing 13 minutes every night like he did against Michigan, but he's, right. if he's able to give them five, six good minutes a game, maybe even closer to 10, that's that's pretty good for them to to have him be able to contribute. And educate, like I said, the confidence, you know, he said he's not, his confidence is always high, but but now he's playing with a different swagger right. to him for having a game like that. And obviously fans, you know, were a little critical of the three-point shot he took, but I mean, he was in, into one, he was feeling like, you know, he was, mm-hmm. things were flowing for him and he it was a little bit of a heat check, I guess. That's what he kind of, the way he kind of put it. The other day, if there's one thing you can nitpick out of that performance with it, uh, the other night, that that's it. I mean, that that, right. that, that he missed. But, uh, you know, he got open. He got some screens. That first jump shot wall, you know, set a screen. He was able to get around it, and, you know, he, he uh, made the contested jumper, and then he had another jumper in the middle of the lane, and then the layup where he got a, another, you know, kind of screen from Gilmore and was able to burn the defenders, to, you know, to the basket. So I thought that was – it was a really and he you know, he showed some hustle too he got that offensive rebound didn't lead to any points um they left a lot of meat on the bone in terms of uh second chances they only scored like seven or eight second chance i think if you get 15 offensive rebounds you got to have a little bit more i mean eights you know it's fine but you know for a team that that struggles enough offensively into struggles to hit free throws i mean when you get second chances you got to be able to, to to take advantage a couple more of those than they did um, but overall, a really strong performance for, for Kamari, and obviously Greg Gard and teams got to be really happy with what they saw.
2: No, definitely, definitely. And kind of transitioning because we do have a really early game, an 11 a.m. game, which I may or may not have complained about, against Rutgers tomorrow morning. And like you said earlier, it's a, a game where it's really important not only for the Badgers and their playoff hopes, but also to string two together. What do they need to do to get this victory tomorrow?
3: Well, I, you know, I, I kind of want to see Tyler Wall get going again. I, You know, he had that strong performance against Penn State, and you thought that was okay. You know, he's heading in the right direction again. Maybe might be feeling a little bit better after a couple of weeks of, you know, dealing with that injury, that you know, ankle injury. You know, he's obviously play, still playing through some pain, you know, no matter. He doesn't want to admit to that, but he obviously was or still is. I think you want to see a little bit more out of him, uh, and and Hepburn too. You know, had a rough game. You know, last couple of games hasn't been very efficient shooting the basketball. He's contributed in other ways defensively, but I want to see those two guys get going um, tomorrow. I think that's important. You know, like I said with Wall, just you know, can he start to stack some good performances together? Um, you know, after he's he's had a couple of good games and then he, he has a performance like the other night where he wasn't very effective on either, you know, he was effective defensively as always. But, um, you know, offensively, uh, you want to see him start making some of those shots. Um, and, and obviously, you know, the free throw line is just going to be somewhere he struggles all, all year. I don't think that can be fixed at this point, unfortunately, for for Badger fans' sake of, of, of being a, having to watch that team struggle so much at the free throw line, right. but you want to see him, uh, you know, kind of get going. I, I thought Stephen Crowell the other night played played well. Uh, I know you know he missed like seven or eight straight shots after scoring six points to start the game, but the assists, you know, the rebounding, uh, he, you know, you want to see that continue. I thought it was impressive that you know even though the shots maybe weren't falling as much as he wanted he was still able to kind of keep himself in the game, not get frustrated. he was able to contribute in other ways. So I think, you know, can they get everybody to kind of play on a consistent level that, because that's really what has kind of led to this losing rut. They've been stuck in. Can they, can that happen tomorrow? They need to be able to, you know, uh, they they took a step in the right direction. Now they just got to be able to, it's it's a tough matchup too. And Rutgers, it's not, they're not like, both teams kind of strike me as similar, like, Rutgers, uh, they 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 kind of like to muddy it up. They're a tough team defensively. Kind mm-hmm. uh, of similar mindset of, of, of you what know, Rutgers might be more skilled offensively, of course. But um, you know, it's, it's going to be. A, I'm not expecting a very high scoring game. In fact, I think last year's game between these teams here, I think both of them were relatively low scoring, if I can remember correctly. But a lot has <laughs> happened since then here, so tough to remember.
2: <laughs> right, and I mean, I think you bring up really good points about. Uh, Wall and things like that. When it, when we talked to Wall uh, this past week, I I asked because it seemed like the, the time when the offense was clicking was against Penn State. I think that's been the best offensive performance we've seen as an entire team. That was the one performance where the defense wasn't really strong, especially in the second half, that allowed Penn State to get back in it. But the offense helped them get the win. They shot over 50% and over 45% from three. And the top four, when you talk about Hepburn, Asisian, Wall, and Krell, all four had really good games that game uh, that day. As for what to how how they can eat, all put it together, Wall kind of put the blame on himself. He said he hadn't been aggressive enough, and he wanted to be more aggressive. And we saw a glimpse of it in the second half. But that's like you said, I want to see him get going, and the way he does is get more aggressive. Now, something I thought that was a bit of a pattern uh, against Michigan that he was he felt a little more comfortable was getting the ball. At the top of the key getting the ball there instead of posting up because it allowed him to kind of get a head start and be more aggressive channeling that aggression and do more with the basketball I thought that that's where he got a couple of baskets I wonder if guard uh, sets up a couple of uh, packages that allow him to operate in that way but also even if it's down low. Uh, figuring out different ways to stay aggressive, and that can really promote the offense because if he's going, you can get the the guards going on kickouts. Same with Crowell because Crowell helped uh, a couple of those kickouts in this past game. When you get the bigs going, the guards, as a result, will end up going and you get that offense flowing.
3: Yeah, another thing is too, I mean, they had how many layups did they I mean, it was what, 10 of 23? Oh, I, know, I know, you know, the yeah. definite. Sometimes stat broadcast, you know, live stats can be a little bit, either too too liberal or too conservative with the the layup numbers but i mean 10 of 23 is what it said and I'll you know we got to take stat broadcast for what it says cuz it's all we have uh, unless you want to go through the whole game and count how many layups they actually missed which takes a lot of time.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh, Wall had one in the second half where he was wide open. Maybe he was surprised that he was he was that open uh, because he hasn't gotten many of those looks. Uh, lately with the way he's been defended, but they got to be able to finish. I think that's, you know, they're, they're too often they leave points on the board, the free throw line, second chances the other night, and, and missing layups. They got to be able to convert those, and uh, it's been a problem more so lately than it has been all – you know, it's been an issue pretty much all season, but more so magnified in these close games and losses that they've had. You look back on the stats and, you know, there's other things that factor into a win or loss, but you can usually – look at a couple of different, you know, statistical categories. Well, if they make a couple more of these layups or free throws or such, so on and so forth, the game's different. I mean, you go back and look through, um, you know, you probably could have said that game the other night against Michigan, you know, they should have been able to, and and we've hit on this already, but they, they liked most of the looks they were getting late in that game as they were missing, you know, they missed what, 15 in the last 17 shots. Um, they were getting good looks. They just didn't finish. Right. They went in. They were missing. Um, so, you know, you just want to see that them finish more of those shots, especially when they're closer to the basket because, you know, with the margin for error so so slim for them, um, you know, when you start making errors like that, comes becomes harder to win.
2: No, definitely, definitely. And it's going to be uh, interesting to see how Wisconsin plays this matchup. Our guy Raul says, I smell a big Chucky game. It's going to be an interesting matchup because you've got two pretty solid defensive guards in him against Caleb McConnell. Uh, McConnell obviously averaging two nearly, I think it's two and a half steals uh, uh, per game. Not the best offensive guard, but solid defensive guard. How do you envision that matchup kind of coming along? Do you think that uh, the Badgers are going to look to target that matchup? Or what do you think goes on offensively in regards to Chucky Hepburn?
3: Well, I mean, like I said, uh, a couple minutes ago, I mean, they just, he, he well, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he, went, he was one for nine over three the other night. He said yesterday when we talked to him that it, sometimes he, he settles or maybe forces the issue. Um, you know, there's been a couple of instances where he's been kind of off balance and falling over as he was you know, taking some layups. And those are the couple of things that he hit on yesterday as we talked to him about the performance. He had, you know, against Michigan and then going back to Nebraska and, uh, you know, some of the shots late that, that he's missed. Um, you know, I think just, just him, um, you know, getting the right shots and taking the right shots and not feeling like he's got to. And this is going to be, like you said, a tough matchup, tough defensive guard in McConnell, who's a very good player. Um, and he, we've seen him a couple times, twice last year. And then obviously he's been, he's an older player in this league. So, but this will be what the third time Chucky goes against him. So, you know, I, I just think that, you know, he's, he's got to be in control tomorrow. I mean, you, you can't, you know, force things against a guy like that. Can't get out of your game against a guy like that. Cause that's when mistakes turnovers and poor shots can happen. So just got to find a way to, to get into rhythm and, and to, to kind of, and I think the big thing with him, you know, after the last couple of games he's had and some of the shots he's, he's missed, he's got to get going early. See a couple go yeah. in, get some confidence going. Cause I think, you know, a couple times throughout this season, like I look back to that Illinois game where they lost at home, um, you know, he had been struggling coming into that game and he got, he didn't, he didn't play well in the first half offensively, but in the second half when they went on a big run, to take the lead. And obviously they uh, lost the game by 10, but they, they took the lead and Chucky was you know, playing in a rhythm. He, he's got some, he saw a couple shots going early in the half and he was attacking and, and, and he was very meticulous about it. I think that's, you know, it, he's, he's, he's a sophomore, you know, he's still young, but he's also you know considered a veteran now. Cause he's played so much. So he's got to, you know, know when to attack and, and when to to get off to other guys, I think now that you know Asijin has started to you know really stack some consistent performances, that maybe has taken some some pressure off of Chucky. Um, and, yeah. and obviously, more needs to happen as well with with the bigs. Uh, can they get going? Can they start to give you some consistency? I think that would be big for Chucky as well because a lot of times too, if you think about it, like you know if he's if he's the one making their best shot maker, and everybody else is 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 not making them um, teams can just key in on him. I mean, sometimes it's they're one dimensional in that way where uh, you know, he kind of, if he's a, if he's the one guy that's going, they it's easy to take one guy away.
2: No, I agree. And I mean, in a way, like guard said, not only about the late game decision-making, but in general, it's not all about Hepburn himself, the shot selection and uh, Hepburn's performances. It's also about how is the rest of the team playing? Because, when you have that added pressure, it does uh, take its toll. And I mean, Chucky Hepburn, like you said, he's a guy who once he gets in a rhythm is, is pretty strong. And I think it is important to get him some open looks early on, be it from three point range off screens or be it from uh, him attacking the rim. But I think he also has to understand to be more aggressive. It seemed like he was reliant on his jumper against Michigan a lot, looking for that fadeaway shot and, I think that's something where he's got to tone it in, understand it's a part of his arsenal, but also look back and see how do, how do I get better shots? How do I attack the rim so that the shots that I want to take, such as the step back, becomes more open and it becomes a more accessible shot? And so to me, that's kind of where I'm looking at for Chucky Hepburn. How do you improve that? And from there if he can really get in the rhythm by taking the good shots early and also remaining aggressive, I think it opens up the entirety of his game and really the floor for the Wisconsin offense.
3: Yeah, I I have to agree with that. I don't don't have anything to counter with there.
2: (laughs) People talking about my background. Y'all, this is the Wisconsin locker room background. I saved the 49ers one for...
4: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? Dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
0: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable.
2: 49ers shows
1: come on man
2: but no moving forward though we've got to talk about the bread and butter of what today's show is about and it's really the excitement that we've seen brewing over the last few months spring ball i mean we've seen the videos from brady collins our strength and uh, conditioning coach we've seen the different promos that wisconsin's kind of put out what's kind of your expectation heading into spring ball about how this program is going to be understanding that Uh, it's really a a new change in culture and a new change in coaching staff all around.
3: Well, it's going to be compared to last year. And I know there was a new offensive coordinator last year, but it's going to be really so many storylines to get, to get into during spring ball. Just so many new people to talk to from assistants to players that, that makes it a lot more interesting on our end, I guess. Um, And obviously the practices themselves will be, really interesting because you're watching new offensive and defensive. Well, not, we'll see how the defense looks. They haven't really revealed much in terms of whether or not they're going to run what they ran at Cincinnati or mm-hmm. what, you know, what they were doing here at Wisconsin. Seems like it's going to maybe be trying to find the blend how to mesh those two together. That will be kind of interesting right. to watch, but obviously the offense with the, with the new, you know, air raid attack, you got new receivers, you got new quarterbacks, you got, you know, like I said, new across the board, which makes it so much more interesting for us and the fans um, to consume content that's being put out there. You know about about this new this this new era for the program. So I'm really looking forward to getting to some practices at the end of uh, March, and and obviously uh, getting to talk. We're obviously getting to talk to the assistants over the next couple of weeks. We talked to Mike Brown and. The receivers coach, and then uh, Colin Hichler, the safeties and uh, safeties and co-defensive coordinator this week, and we'll get another set of assistants coming up here, and that will kind of lead us into spring ball. But yeah, it's going to be exciting for sure.
2: No, I agree. And I mean, when you talk about the defense, it will be intriguing to see how does Wisconsin utilize the personnel that they have because a lot of the uh, a lot of the defense I mean, we we saw the overhaul, but a lot of overhaul came at quarterback. Receivers, some of the prime positions offensively. When you look at the defensive personnel, apart from defensive line where they added two uh, defensive ends and Jeff Petrowski and Darian Varner, it's very similar group. The linebacker group is fairly similar. The cornerback group has a, a, a ton of freshman talent, but apart from Jason Mitre, it, it's pretty, pretty similar all around. And so it, I will be intrigued. I do think the personnel might fit what Cincinnati ran with a 335, um, specifically because the linebackers that Wisconsin has good against the run. and it, it might be more of a 326 because of the safety group. It seems like uh, Colin Hitchler... Uh, said how he was excited about some of the safeties. Talked about a couple of them. Hunter Roller, obviously a guy who we've seen been a thumper, uh, and he's a guy who who who's got the ability to hit hard. We we've seen him play. We saw the three safety sets last year. That was a new element that Jim Leonard kind of incorporated with Roller, with Latu, and with John Torchio when the three of them were healthy. This year, I could I could envision. Hunter Wolder being a part of the uh, the rotation, Travion Blacklock. We've heard uh, from Colin Hitchler earlier this week how he played a ton of ball coming back from the injury, but he seems like he's going to be an integral piece. The uh, the the speed is there, the the traits are back there, and I think that's going to be an integral part. And then so you talk about them too, but you also talk about uh, a guy like Kamoy Latu who had a solid first year here at Wisconsin, but also room to grow especially with his uh run defense in in terms of taking angles but you've got a good safety group you've got a good corner or you've got an emerging kind of cornerback group where some roles are going to be have to figure out especially who plays the boundary opposite of alexander smith and who ends up being the nickel is it the veteran in my tray is it going to be one of those younger guys like lofi amon williams uh maybe even uh avion jones who ends up figuring out at the cornerback roles. I think that's the biggest question really defensively, but intrigued to see the scheme and uh, how they utilize their players.
3: Yeah. Sorry. I was kicked off. I was kind of hit a, my computer had a little malfunction again for the second time. So we good
2: We Probably, good. Yeah. To,
3: <laughs> for that, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the biggest storylines for, you know, going into spring ball. You know, it depends on who you talk to. Obviously, the offense is new and exciting. It's a huge departure from what Wisconsin was, you know, in the past, you know, going all the way back up to you know, Barry Alvarez. Um, so that's that's huge. But the defense is also arguably just as big uh, with, mm-hmm. with, with, you know, the new staff um, and how they want to, you know, mix or blend in what they did at Cincinnati and what they did, what what the Wisconsin had been doing here under Jim Leonard. Um, that's, that's going to be fascinating to watch. And I think, you know, obviously um, a big, a big talking point has been the outside linebackers as well. Yeah. Um, you well, know, they, they really like what they have there. And that's part of the reason why they're, they're not going to go to a full maybe three, 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 three five, because Wisconsin has mm-hmm. recruited that position so well. Um, you know, Nick Herbig last year, was you know had a first team all big 10 season um you know uh, now they have a couple of other guys kind of coming up uh, and competing for those roles you have cj gets who had a quietly put together pretty good you know 2022 season he's coming back you got daryl peterson and tj bowlers and caden johnson and just a lot of young guys in that position well caden johnson might not co- classify as young he's been right. here for a couple of years same with Bowlers and Peterson, but they haven't played as much because they were all behind Herbig and Noah Burks, obviously, before that. Um, But that's going to be interesting to see who kind of steps up in those positions and how they utilize those guys. I think that's going to be really something that I'm looking forward to seeing. Um, And obviously, you mentioned the back end of the defense. You got, you know, you did lose Torchio, but you get Woller and Latu coming back, and and they're really excited about Austin Brown. when Leonard was still here, obviously he was—he would really rave about Brown's athleticism and, mm-hmm. and what he can give them, his versatility as well. Um, you know, and then you got corner—you know—you got some corners coming back. Uh, Alexander Smith, you know, uh, really steady for them when he was healthy. When he has been healthy last year during spring ball, the coaches were talking of him as their guy, number one guy. He obviously yeah. missed some time with the injury that, you know, seemed to, to really nag him longer than maybe they thought. Uh, and he, he provided, um, you know, he, he showed what he can do when he was, when he was out there and healthy this year. And then, you know, you got a couple another position with some younger guys who were probably going to be asked to take on larger roles. Ricardo Hallman, a guy I'm really interested to watch uh, in the spring. Um, I agree. For, for, for whatever reason, maybe others don't see it the same, but um, he, he, Played well for them when he was in there last year. Aside from what, really that one game against Michigan, Michigan State. State, right? Yeah, he had a tough matchup against a really good receiver and Jaden Reed. Uh, and had a tough day. He had a really tough day filled with a lot of tough lessons, you know. And and I think I'm interested to see how he bounces back from that. How can he take another step and maybe use what he learned that day to to continue to grow as a player. Because uh, he didn't play much after that game. And Smith was healthy pretty much the rest of the year. And that performance probably hurt Hallman's confidence so much and it was compounded by the fact that he didn't see the field much after that. Uh, he played a little bit in the bowl game, maybe got one or two snaps here and there. Uh, I actually think it was the next week against Purdue he came in after somebody had gotten hurt. And the first play, uh, Purdue's quarterback, Aiden O'Connell, went after him and Holman got called for a pass interference and then that, yeah. after that he was done. He didn't really see the field at all. So I'm interested to see how he's kind of approaching the season after what he went through down the stretch. Um, I think he has, you know, he's a little bit small on the smaller side. Um, But, you know, he, he did, I thought I was impressed with him early on and, and up until that Michigan state game, really, I thought he was kind of getting them through until Smith was able to, to, to be fully healthy. And then obviously you got other guys at that group too. Shaw and, and Dort and Clark, three of the transfers they brought in last year, they're gone. So those are you got a lot of snaps there to to yeah. um, to replace. Um, obviously, Clark had his issues with injuries, so maybe not him, but Dort and Shaw played a lot of football for them last year. So it's going to be interesting to see what other guys, in addition to Hallman, are kind of st- maybe some of the freshmen they signed. If they can make an impact either early in in spring ball or in fall camp, can they do enough to kind of see the field early? And then the inside linebackers, I think that's really, you know, I feel like they have that solidified with mm-hmm. with uh, Turner and and Muma, but you know, I am interested to see if if Jake Cheney can he yeah push I mean, he played well last year when he had chances, um, and I I wouldn't write him off as somebody who is going to be in the mix this year and Brian Sanborn too. If I mean back last year and obviously every it's it's important to note that every staff sees things differently. So Correct. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, you know, this coaching staff, obviously they see it completely differently than the last one did. It's just how it is. And, you know, it's important to, to maybe not lock guys into positions yet because these these new guys see things differently. But Brian Sanborn is a guy the last staff was pretty excited about last, you know, last summer and during, during training camp when he was kind of in the mix for a couple weeks for in that competition, there was literally, there was four or five guys battling for those two spots or four spots in the two deep, obviously. Um, that was a fascinating position battle to watch. Can those two mm-hmm. guys, uh, you know, maybe push? Uh, you know, I, I'm not saying there's going to be a competition inside linebacker, but those two guys are probably good enough to to see the field this year. And I'll be interested to see, you know, what strides they, they've made in the spring. And obviously the defensive line um, is, is, you know, you got a whole, you got to find somebody. You know, to replace
2: the guys, right? Herbig and Benton.
3: You got uh, Benton. You know, that that'll be interesting to see what they do there. Um, Gio Paez obviously is probably the mo- is is obviously the most experienced option they have. But I thought Kurt Neal started to catch on a little bit at the end of last year, and and I'll be interested to see if he can emerge at that spot. So there's a lot of storylines in defense. Like I said, um, you know the offense is is going to be fun. It's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be fun to see what they're doing. It's going to be fun to to watch a spring spring practice and not see so many you know just the same running play all over again. You're going to see passing. You're going to this is air raid offense. They're still going to run the ball, but um, the offense it'll be exciting to watch. But I just think there's a lot of underrated storylines on defense that uh, maybe not be might not be getting as much attention um, from the scheme, how they're organizing that, and just Mm -hmm. the position battles and guys. A lot of younger guys kind of kind of vying for some roles. That's going to be really interesting to watch.
2: And you talk about a lot of great stuff there. I mean, like you said, the defense probably does deserve some love because there's a lot of different topics, especially because the bread and butter of this new coaching staff in terms of who came from Cincinnati is all on the defensive side. And when you talk about uh, some of the position groups, defensive line, one of the intriguing parts that really I'm interested to see what the coaching staff does with is do they maybe – switch to more of a 4 4-2, or a 4-3 uh, kind of formation a little bit to adjust because when you bring in guys like Darian Barner, a guy who's around 275, 280 pounds, and then Jeff Petrowski, a bit of a smaller defensive end, maybe around 260, 265. Uh, they're guys who have the ability to rush the passer, but more so at the edge position but potentially have the versatility to kick back in. And that's what that four, three alignment potentially uh, helps you with is you can have versatile guys where maybe a James Thompson kicks back in uh, and plays at the three tech instead of playing at the five tech and things like that. And so I'm intrigued to see what the, uh, what the, what the Badgers do with their alignments and who exactly is able to differentiate themselves. Cause they've got a lot of good names. We talked about a couple of them and then the outside linebacker room, even TJ Ballers, uh, Caden Johnson, and uh, Daryl Peterson, guys that also, um, uh, at least the latter two, saw the field in the, in the the towards the end of the season uh, a good amount and now have some big minutes to replace with no Nick Herbig. Uh, CJ gets uh, a veteran, is gone too. And I believe, um, obviously, Keanu Benton's gone. So that room will be very intriguing. In the linebacker room, you're right. It does seem a little more uh, set than the other rooms just because of the uncertainty in some of the other rooms. But it's still a room to watch, especially if the badges utilize three linebackers cuz who are they going to trust to be the third guy and also Cincinnati loved these packages where uh they were guys ooh my bad gets his back gets his back so we got one uh one guy who did start last year but at the linebacker room if Uh, If they utilize three linebackers, I'm interested to see who exactly cracks the rotation. And remember, Cincinnati, in that defense, they love to blitz linebackers, so they might value that athleticism over other, uh, other aspects because it allows them to be more versatile with their defense and create unfavorable looks for opposing offensive linemen where they might... Look to blitz a linebacker, drop him back into coverage, and then blitz off the edge. Or look to blitz off the edge, but then send a linebacker over and force these different shifts in the offensive line that help you uh, generate pressure. But in the back end is very intriguing because it seems like that's where you have the most open spots. Uh, Hunter Roller was a guy who got injured last year uh, at a point, but no torch. He's gone. Three big names are gone at the cornerback position. Alex Smith seems to have solidified a, a spot. I think he's one of the locks on the defensive side because he's one of the better ones. Rico Hallman's an interesting case because he was a starter last year, but then he got benched. And really my thing with Rico Hallman is how does he address that mentality of his and the confidence? Because he's a small guy, he understands it, but you have to be able to win at the catch point even if you're a small guy. And if Rico Hallman can show that, if he doesn't get beat over the top, which is the big thing if you play uh, defenses like cover three where they want you to press and things like that. If, if he doesn't get beat over the top, that's where Rico Holman, I think, is going to be valuable because if he can keep the mentality, uh, shake off some poor plays and doesn't get beat over the top, then you have a solid player. It's just the issue was it felt as if he got beat over the top a couple of times. That was the biggest mistake he made during games last year. And so Holman's a guy, again, who was a freshman last year has time to grow still as a rusher as a redshirt now sophomore. And there's a lot of, a lot of different names, including a lot of young guys in that uh, cornerback room and the safety room to where it's intriguing to see which of the young guys can make a, make a name for themselves and get some early playing time while which of the veterans who might not have had playing time before, which of them can step up and see the field as well.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But just, uh, you know, we got a question here. Which new corner makes the? I'll let greatest? you
2: take this. Which new corner makes the biggest impact? So I guess he's talking about both the rookie. Uh, well, I'm sorry, freshman and also the veteran in Maitre. Who do you think it is? Because the Badgers had a lot of nice defensive backs come in the class. I mean, you talk yeah. about Braden Moore and all the young guys, but also Maitre.
3: Since I need to see, you know, the practices and how those play out, it's always tough to forecast. Uh, with, with the younger guys, what, how quickly they're going to be able to catch on, not, not so much physically, but mentally, you know, playbook much more complex, obviously at the college level than high school. Let's just be honest. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see one of those two uh, younger guys, you know, some of the younger corners make, make a a big impact, but I think, I think Maitre was a really good pickup for them in the portal. They needed some experience there. So I'm going to go with him. Um, It might seem like the easy answer, but I think that that just his experience and I, you know, if you read a little bit about his background, he can play a lot of different spots in the secondary and talking to Colin Hitchler the other day, obviously not the corners coach, but you could tell that the staff is similar to the last staff and that they value versatility in the secondary. Um, Alexander Smith, for example, can play safety if needed. Uh, He did it last spring um, and he, when they had so many injuries at that position, he was playing corner nickel and safety. He was rotating between three, three spots. I think I can see, um, you know, major playing kind of the same role for them. Uh, he can, he can play safety if needed. He can play in the slot. He can go on the outside. He's a really physical guy. He's not afraid to to come up and stop the run. I, I, am he might be one of the more underrated additions. The receivers got so much attention in the transfer portal Uh, And obviously the quarterbacks, but I think he was, he and Darian Varner both on the defensive side of the ball were key pickups for them. You add experience, you know what you're getting. These guys can come in right away and start for you or be a a guy, you know, kind of a platoon guy, come in when needed to take up some snaps. Um, Mm -hmm. Varner in particular, he'll probably be a starter. Um, you know, he, the numbers he put up at Temple last year, um, impressive, impressive player. Um, you know, I think he'll he'll make a big impact, you know, uh but but Matri for sure, I, I think of the of the new cornerbacks is uh what I would that, that would be the answer I give, just because of just his versatility and his experience. And uh, obviously, you know, I think the the, the the staff obviously has some familiarity with him. So um I think that's that's what I'm at least expecting for now. But hey when we watch a couple spring practices or yeah. a couple well, camp practices, that opinion could change.
2: No, definitely. I, I think that that's a, a great way to put it. And when you talk about it, he, he seems like the easier answer, but it seems like the more clear-cut guy. He he looks – at least projects to be a guy to play in the slot, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he is one of those versatile pieces that they like to move as well. Experience is certainly there, playing at Boston College a lot, but uh, I I do expect him to probably make the biggest impact. But I'll go with the dark horse, and it's a guy who isn't even on campus, but a guy who reminisces uh, a lot of uh, fans and a lot of thoughts about a guy who the Cincinnati staff utilized very well uh, when they were at Cincinnati, and that's Sauce Gardner, a six-three corner around one ninety, uh, and they they have another six-three corner that they got, Mari Snowden, who initially committed to Cincinnati now. As for who makes the biggest impact in year one, I think it'll be tough to say Snowden will because I think the coaching staff will want him to bulk a little more uh, in terms of getting some more size. But the length is there, and if you want to run that cover three system, the press man uh, that they like to run with Sauce Gardner back then, Alexander Smith's capable of doing that, and Amari Snowden he'll be a guy probably capable of doing that as well because of the length that he provides you're going to have to worry about the hands probably at the next level to begin with but if you go through the mistakes that'll be possible for sure
3: yeah definitely you know you can tell well just just the mold of of what the last you know this new coaching staff likes in terms of corners you can tell they they want a little bit more size length um, yeah. and physicality maybe than what They've had here in the past, so it'll be a really interesting to see Snowden uh, live in action here. at uh, Really looking forward to seeing him for sure. No,
2: definitely, definitely. I want to ask you this: of the guys on that defensive line that are still with the Badgers, we talk about James Thompson, Isaiah Mullins, I believe is returning, C.J. Gets is returning. Of the kind of key pieces last year, who do you think remains kind of on top, and who do you think maybe gets a little bit more of a diminished role with? additions like Werner and Petrowski coming in?
3: It's a tough question. Um, Cause I think both Rodas Johnson and James Thompson Jr. Took some steps forward last right. year. I thought that especially down the stretch of the season, both of those guys at Iowa game, I think both were, were making tackles for a loss of yards. James Thompson obviously got a lot of starting experience with, with Mullins hurt. I, I can't see Mullins' role being diminished, and I'll be curious because he's a bigger guy. I'll be curious if they move him inside at all. I think that's something that yeah. that maybe we can look at. Um, but that's a tough question because you got Varner, obviously, who you're expecting to make a pretty big impact. Um, I guess I don't know. That's that's a tough. That's a tough one. I guess if I had to, if I had to make a guess of whose role diminishes, I, I would probably have to go with one of those defensive ends. Just with it's crowded room now with Varner uh, and Petrowski obviously can play that position. He's listed as an edge rusher on 24 mm-hmm. seven sports database. So to me, you know, and he can obviously play outside linebacker and defensive end. So that's going to be interesting to see where he kind of fits in. Um But I, I, I don't know with Varner, you probably can, you know, assume that he'll be a starter. So I would probably have to go with one of those defensive ends, probably going to be one of the most more underrated maybe battles in camp to see who can kind of come out of that. Um, you know, on the other side, you, if you have Varner on one end, you, you Rodas and James probably going to be duking it out for the other. So it, it's going to be interesting to see those two guys. Um, uh, you know, I, James Thompson really intriguing, you know, he's, he's athletic. Uh, you know, he moves pretty well for, for a guy his right. size. So you know, he really impressed me last year, but so did Rodas Johnson. And I think he is starting to find maybe more of a role as a leader as well. Um, you know, he was pretty vocal, you know, this past year, he's a really energetic guy. Um, you know, when they did press conferences or player availability before the bowl game, he was one of the four or five players that we got. And that tells me that, you know, they're sending out, they're, they're only doing, the team leaders and captains he was one of them that means that, that you know, he's obviously very highly thought of in the locker room so that'll be interesting to see uh, that that kind of unfold but uh, yeah it should be interesting the defensive line is going to be uh, something to watch for sure
2: no I agree and I think that it's going to be a very intriguing battle and also intriguing to see who plays where and because if the if Cincinnati uh, oh, sorry if Wisconsin the old Cincinnati staff come into Wisconsin, want to run that three-three-five? there are obviously limited spots. If they want to run a 4-3 or a 4-2-6, it depends because do you want more agile guys uh, kind of there or do you want more of the space eaters that kind of just take up space and allow you to play uh, with lighter boxes to defend the run? And so there are a lot of questions to be asked schematically that kind of go into who necessarily gets more playing time. I would be intrigued to see um, Mullins and james thompson jr potentially get snaps on the inside not necessarily maybe at the nose uh but maybe at the at the three tech because thompson he, he's a big guy He he's six seven and he's got the size if he can maybe add a little more pure strength that that helps him a little bit in that situation i mean mullins has obviously been there and he's been a guy who has played uh for for a good amount of time now as a sixth year senior coming into this year and so i i do think that there's a lot of different, different elements that you could talk about. Rodas Johnson, I would assume he likely sticks to the five-tech kind of position, maybe more out wide, maybe even if they, if they go with a wider base, maybe uh, somewhere between the five and the seven, uh, or five and the nine. Depends on uh, how, how they run that system. But I do think that that's kind of how I envision it. It will be intriguing, though, to see who snaps necessarily get cut, because the, the, the part about this fickle uh, experiment that we've seen so far Man, they got a hell of a lot of players now that can play. That that's that's the thing. They've got a lot of players that can play, and a lot of players with experience too.
3: Yeah, yeah it's the same kind of story offensively too. Um, you know, we are gonna have a lot of receivers. You got a lot of receivers battling for time. Obviously, you're 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 pretty set at at quarterback with Mordecai, but you know they're gonna have a battle for that you know kind of backup spot between Evers and and Braden Locke. So that'll be interesting. There's, there's just as many kind of questions of who's going to be where and who kind of ends up where on offense in terms of who's uh, too deep. It'll be interesting to see on both sides of the ball, really, Um, you Mm -hmm. know, so many, so many different angles to take. It's going to be exciting to get there and uh, watch some practices for sure.
2: No, definitely. Mike, we'll, we'll talk about the offense on the next one, but to end today's show, our guy, Roel has a question. Record prediction, way too uh, early. This is a literally. bunch of BS. Do you think they win at least ten games? I'll, I'll, I'll keep it open ended, not necessarily a record prediction. The, I'm
3: gonna set the. I'm gonna set it at. Or like, give me an
2: over under. Where would you set it?
3: Over or under?
2: Like, where would you, if you were an odds maker, where would you set the bar for this team at the over under?
3: I'm gonna. I'm gonna place. I'm not gonna do any of this gambling stuff or anything i'm just going to say that maybe my expectation for now would be nine or ten wins that's what i'm thinking Uh, there we go go any lower or higher than that i think that's fair place to start knowing you know i haven't watched the practice yet so i'm not gonna uh, you know make any rash predictions based on just the offseason alone
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm actually in agreement with you. I think earlier in the off season, when we were first getting the the look into who was exactly coming, I said nine and three. I, I and I know it might be on the lower end for some people, but I do think I said nine and three at the moment. We'll see, because really the only thing that we can know is what's the scheme, what's the talent, and that all comes in spring ball to help determine how many games this team's going to win. But a lot of factors. And a lot of different talk, which is going to happen for the entirety of this offseason given the, the hype around this team at the moment. But Mike, I, I do really appreciate your time. Thank you for joining me for this hour. Uh appreciate let it. us know where we can find you both both on Twitter. Uh, he you can find on Twitter, I believe, at M Hogan Reports, but also at Badger247. He does a lot of good work there. So be sure to check out Mike's work. As for mine, be sure to remain uh up to date here at Bucky's fifth quarter. We're going to be putting out a lot of content uh, both on the football end, but also on the basketball end. So stay tuned. We're going to figure it out. For those of you guys that are watching, thank you guys so much for tuning in and we appreciate it. We'll see you guys soon.